This week I read about a hunter in Salt Lake City. He was duck hunting. He was out in his boat. He took his dog with him. He got out of the boat to put out some decoys. I don't know how duck hunting goes, but evidently that's how it goes. While he was getting out of the boat, he put his 12-gauge shotgun on the bow of the boat, set out the decoys. His dog jumped up, hit the gun, fired the gun. Um, the gun went off, shooting the man in the uh, posterior, leaving 27 pellets of birdshot. Now, the last two sentences of the story are awesome. By the way, if you get shot in the hind section with buckshot, how do you get to help? Because you're not going to want to sit in the boat, and you're sure not going to want to sit in your car. Do you walk? I mean, it's a, it's a long way. So anyway, the last two sentences. Deputy Justin Potter wouldn't speculate about the dog's motive for the shooting. <laughs> No charges have been filed, and the dog still isn't talking. So uh, it's a great story, honestly. When your best friend shoots you in the back, then you know you're having some trouble. And Paul threw out this first part of the book of Romans. By the way, we're in the book of Romans. Let me click on my Romans slide. Um, he's been saying, you're in a bunch of trouble. But now we're at the end of chapter 3, and he gets to the good news, and he introduces these three really big theological concepts. So we talked about one last week, and we'll review just for a second, and then we're going to introduce the other two, and we'll try our best to make those understandable. Now, justification is just as if I'd never sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace. And so, because of what Jesus did for us when He died on the cross, if we have faith in that sacrifice and in Him, then He makes it as if, just as if, We've never sinned. And the concept is almost too big for me to get my mind around because I know me better than anybody knows me. I know who I am. I know my problems, my struggles, my past, my sins, my sin. I know it all. And yet, somehow, the, the sacrifice Jesus made covers all of that. And it's not just for me. It's for anyone who has faith, which is, it's, an, it's, it's almost mind-boggling to think about Jesus' sacrifice wiped out that many sins. So as a good teacher like Paul is, and Paul's an expert, kind of a master teacher, he says, okay, well this is justification, but let me explain it a couple more ways. And so he explains it a couple more ways. He uses the word redemption. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we're not saved by ritual or religion or rules. We're saved by Jesus. And so when he talks about redemption, redemption is to release by paying a ransom. And his audience understand Paul writes to these people in Rome and you have to understand Rome a little bit to understand this reference. Because we, they had slaves. We don't have slaves. So this makes sense in the concept of slavery. So uh, the word redemption applied to two different things. We'll talk about both of them. And Paul's original audience, the Romans, would have said, oh yeah, we understand this. In Rome, in that day, there was a slave market. So uh, governments or countries would go and they would conquer another country and they would take captives and they would bring them to the Roman slave market. 
Rome was this amazing cosmopolitan city. Lots of people, lots of culture, lots of things. Slavery was part, it was on the table for them. And so if I'm a conquering nation and I go someplace and I conquer people, I bring those people back, I can capture them and bring them back as slaves. Sometimes you would, you would get somebody who is trained as a doctor or a bookkeeper or a nanny. And so uh, if I was in the market for a slave in Rome at, at Jesus' time when Paul writes this, I could go to, to, the, to, to the slave market and I could, I could buy, I could purchase a human being to be my nanny or my doctor or my bookkeeper. Now, they had, the slave owners had unfettered rights. The slave had no rights. By all estimations, at least half of the population of Rome were slaves. Some estimate as much as 60 to 70 percent. Um, so you would go to the slave market and you could buy a human being, which is unbelievable, and then you could do with that human being anything you wanted. And I began to think, well, okay, that was 2,000 years ago. So I did a little research on this. Did you know that there's a, a, a website called the Center for, for Global Justice? They estimate that today, 2024, there are an estimated 45.8 million slaves in the world on the planet today. 45.8 million. The countries they say are the, the biggest culprits of slavery include uh, North Korea, uh, China, India, Iran, Pakistan, Indi uh, Indonesia. So... While the concept, we don't, we don't have a slave market like people in Rome would have had a slave market, they would have understood this. But understand, slavery isn't, wasn't abolished 200 years ago. It's still, it's still part of, of the fabric of humanity in our world today. But when Paul uses the language, let me go back to it just for a second. When Paul uses the language of redemption, what he's saying is, um, uh, when, when someone purchased another human being, a slave... They had an option. They could release them, set them free, or they could uh, make them go work for them. So Paul is saying, look, we've been redeemed. We've been set free. It's, it was a possibility. And he uses this language all the time in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You were bought with a price. Paul uses this language over and over in Scripture. And the price was Jesus who died on the cross for us. So redemption dealt with slavery. Redemption also dealt with hostages. Again, kind of the same concept. A warring people would go into a different nation. They could uh, pick off some hostages and say, for a ransom, for a fee... We will return your hostages to you. And again, it still happens today. Hamas invaded Israel a couple of months ago, and they took hostages. And this is its just, again, part of the fabric of humanity in our world. It was then. It still is today. And so when Paul uses that language, he's talking about, hey, you can, you can redeem, be redeemed as a hostage. And look at this language. Now, this is a text. Paul is a, an older pastor. He has a young protege. And so he's, 
writing to his young protege, his young pastor friend, gently instruct those who oppose the truth, he says. Perhaps God will change their pe- the people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him. Again, this is the language. Titus, another pastor, young pastor. He, Jesus, gave himself up for us so he might uh, pay the price to ransom us from all evil and to make us pure people and belong only to him. And Paul uses this language. You'll see it throughout the letters. And now you know a little bit more about the the cons, the the. Uh, the conditions where Paul writes this. So the other day I stopped into CVS. I bought a pack of gum. This is my receipt. I could insulate my house if I bought like two packs of gum. I mean, holy cow. So let's say you go to CVS and you get, all these are coupons at the end, and you get a coupon and it says free turkey. And you read the fine print, because there's fine print, and I'd have to take my glasses off and do this. It's like, because usually free, free turkey, and then at the end it says, with the purchase of a million uh, other things. And so like, I don't want that. But this, this is really, truly a free, did I say turkey? Turkey. Free turkey. I don't think CVS sells turkeys. Does anybody know? Are you sure? <laughs> I think they started just this week. Uh, free turkey. All right, so... I go back to the, to the turkey stand uh, at CVS, pull out the turkey, carry it to the counter, put it on the counter. I say to the lady, she, she, she rings it up and she says, that'll be $29. And I'm like, no, no, no. I have a coupon. It says free turkey right here. And I put it on the counter, and I get my free turkey. Now, that's redemption. I have a coupon for something. Uh, I have a coupon for something, and I use it to redeem a gift that was offered to me. A gift that was offered to me. All right? That's redemption. I, I have an offer of something free. Now... It's free to me. CVS paid for it, or somebody paid for it, right? Somebody had to pay, but I get it for free. That's what, that's what redemption means. All right. So then he uses this another word. So he's used justification. He's used redemption. Now he's going to use this word atonement. God presents Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And atonement means to reconcile God and humanity. So, peaches and herb, if you're laughing, you're old, uh, was a group, and they had a great song. What was, what was peaches and herb's very best song? Anybody? Reunited. Sing it with me. And it feels so good. That's right. It does feel good. And all you young people, sorry, you don't have good music. Uh, this was great music. That was great music. Okay, so. Peaches and Herb, they sang about reunited. Sometimes, this happens in a marriage, this happens with friends. Sometimes you, you, get, you get sideways with one another. You know, you, you, have, uh, you have conflict. And so, 
Atonement is bringing two sides which are in conflict into reconciliation. It's to bring them back together. And so atonement is being at one meant, being at one with the person that you had a conflict with. And in this case, we had a conflict with God, and it's because of our sin, and that causes us to be sideways with one another. And atonement is Jesus bringing us back together. And sometimes maybe you've had this in your life. You got a conflict with a friend and some other friend helped you get reunited. Well, that's, that's the concept of atonement. Now, the interesting thing about atonement is, look, the verse here says, the wages of sin is death. When you break God's law, you pay uh, God's penalty. When you break man's law, you pay man's penalty. When you break God's law, you pay God's penalty. And God provided this way to be... Uh, reunited, uh, uh, reconciled. He, he paid away. It's, it's all the same payment, just three different illustrations. To be justified, to be redeemed, to be atoned. If, if the government offers a free program, it's free to the people they're offering the program to, but it costs somebody something. So let's go back to the, the turkey. It didn't cost me anything. It was a free gift but it costs somebody something. It costs CVS something. It costs the turkey everything. Uh, the turkey gave it all, you know. So it costs somebody something. And the picture of this has been going on uh, for all time. So back in the Old Testament, uh, by the way, uh, the word atone is in Hebrew the word kippur. And you've heard of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And in Leviticus 16, it talks about the Day of Atonement. On the Day of the Atonement, this was the one day a year when the high priest of the Jews, he would take two goats. One goat, they would slit his throat, they would capture the blood, they would take the blood. This is gory, but this is what happened. They would take the blood and they would put the blood on the altar. The second goat, this is, I was reading about this, I don't know exactly how it works, and I'm not sure I've ever read anybody to explain it the way it makes sense to me. The high priest put his hands on the goat, and in Hebrew it's called the Azazel goat, or the scapegoat. He put his hands on the goat, and he prayed symbolically to take the sins of all the nation of Israel and put it on the goat. That's one loaded goat. And they paid a Gentile, because no Jew would want to do this, because this goat represents all of our sins. And they would pay a Gentile who would take the rope and he would walk the goat far enough into the wilderness where it would never come back. And, and, and they're painting a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. He would give his blood, which was a sacrifice for our sins, and he would take all of our sins and separate us from them forever. And the Gentile, I'm sure, was paid to go you know, the extra mile, go as far as you can, because we, won't, we never want that goat to wander back in to the city. And, and that's, so that, these are these pictures. So that's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, He takes away the sins of all the world. This is what is so phenomenal about... Jesus' sacrifice, again, it, it blows my mind. 
that he can take all of my sin and all of our sin collectively and all of the world's sin collectively for 2,000 years. In fact, all the way back to Adam, he, he's, been, he's wiped out all of that sin for people who have faith. Look at this text. And, and Paul writes this, For God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ, so that we could be reunited now, this, this notion, a sacrifice of atonement. There are liberal theologians who say um, that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't, because, it wasn't to assuage God's anger or His wrath. Except that's what the Bible says. I, I don't have to like it or understand it or, or even agree with it for it to be true. They'll use language like, oh, uh, we're not going to sing about uh, a father who murders his son. It's not what happened. Blood sacrifice was the requirement for God to be appeased. I don't know why. He's God. He sets the rules. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to like them. Those are the rules. Let's say I need a new widget. Walk in the garage. My old widget is broken. I go to Widgets R Us. They've got the best selection of widgets. I need the X24 widget. I find it. Take it to the counter. Say to the young lady, I'd like to purchase the, the widget X24. She rings it up and she says, okay, the widget X24 is $250. And I say, I'm sorry, uh, I don't believe in capitalism and uh, I don't have money. But what I do have is this really nice bag of rocks I collected down at the riverbank. Here's my payment for the widget X24. Does anybody in here believe I'm walking out of Widgets R Us with an X24. No. You pay what they say you pay. You don't pay any way you want to. It's not willy-nilly pay. You pay the way they say. God has said, without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption of sin. It's in Scripture. A liberal theologian can say anything. See, we, we want to make God in our own image. If we read something in Scripture we don't like, well, then we just sort of dismiss it as something we don't like. And we'll just change it to say what we want it to say. If the sexual ethic that's uh, talked about in Scripture, if I don't like it, well, then I'll just make it say what I want it to say. We see it all the time. doesn't change the fact that it says what it says. And the Bible says that Jesus' sacrifice is the way to be saved. Now, here's what's so amazing about this sacrifice. Look, a couple things. Jesus sent G, uh, God sent Jesus for two reasons. To forgive the sins of the past, all the way back to Adam. If you've ever wondered, how did people in the Old Testament get saved? It's like God was sort of cool, and then the New Testament happens and He gets really severe. That's not, that's not how it works. Look, look, look. This sacrifice showed that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. He knew that Jesus was coming. 
He knew that Jesus was coming. I have discovered the very best way to watch a sporting event. You record it. I love it. You can fast forward through every one of those stupid commercials. So I'm doing something. So I record my game, right? The sporting game I want to watch. And I record it. And then later on, I watch it. And I don't even care if I know the score beforehand. In fact, I prefer to know the score beforehand. Because if my team loses, delete. Uh, I don't even have to waste my time. I've been deleting a lot of stuff lately, by the way. <laughs> Kentucky, Tennessee, delete. Kentucky, South Carolina, delete. Kentucky, Clemson, delete. I, I just, I'm deleting everything. Just deleting it all. But if we win, and I'm sure we will someday, uh, if we win, I can watch that game with confidence. I mean, I don't care how far behind we get. So, uh, watch a game. There, there was a game, Kentucky actually won, I don't know, 25 years ago. And uh, we got 30 points behind in a game. And I watched the tape of that, or the, not tape, the, the video of that, and I'm like, we can't win this. It's 25 years old, and we won, and I know it. And I'll, I'll say, well, we, uh, there's no way we can win this. How, do we, how in the world can we win this? We're, we're 30 points behind in the second half. We can't win. And then I watch a little bit more, and I'm like, I don't know. We're making a run. I've done this before, and I'm watching something. I know the score, and it's like, I don't see how we win. I go check myself. It's like, did I see the score wrong? And then I look, and it's like, we did win. And I'll watch it. And I can enjoy it. No pressure. It's, it helps my heart condition. Uh, you know, it's really awesome. Well, so this text, this sacrifice, shows that God was fair. He knew what was coming. He, he checked the score. Oh, Jesus wins. He knows. Everybody in the Old Testament was saved by faith just like everybody in the New Testament is saved by faith. They're saved by faith. They had faith in something to come. We have faith in something that's been. Jesus, that's happened. They had faith that something was going to happen, and it did. The Old Testament sacrifices, look at what it says about them. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It reminds us. That the Old Testament, they were like, oh, we've got to sacrifice for sin again. Because we just keep sinning. It's impossible for the, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. It's impo it just can't happen. The, bull, the blood of bulls and, and goats in the Old Testament was like earnest money in a, in a real estate transaction. It's a good faith uh, agreement, a good faith uh, uh, offering that says, in good faith, in good faith, I know that something's going to happen. It's good faith. I got good faith. I have faith. See, when Jesus died, he reached back and he saved all of us if we'll have good faith. This forgiveness takes care of the past, it also takes care of the future. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in the sight, uh, in his sight, when they believe in Jesus. And I'm not sure there are better words than we are made right in his sight.
Some would argue, well, God is love, therefore He can't hate. But God does hate. He hates sin. When you love, you hate the thing that hurts the one you love. If you love a cancer patient, what do you hate? You hate cancer. If you love an addict, what do you, what do you hate? You hate the substance to which they're addicted. Love sometimes is a corollary. I hate is sometimes a corollary to love. Because I love, then I hate certain things. The, the cross covered all of it. All the sin. Again, I said it last week, it's just almost too much to believe that in this moment, right now, if you have faith in Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, you are in perfectly right standing with God right now. It's hard to believe. Again, I know me. That's hard to believe. Because if I was God, I wouldn't be right with me. It's hard to believe. Paul is like, you've been justified. It's just as if you've never sinned. You've been redeemed. You were a slave to sin. And you've been set free. You've been reunited. Peaches and Herb are singing in heaven right now. You've been reunited. You've been atoned for. You've been brought together. And because of that, there are consequences. There are consequences to salvation. One is, there's no room for pride. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So, we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. All right, so let's say I go to Myrtle Beach. I'm not a big ocean guy, but I'm going to go to Myrtle Beach. And they have lifeguards there. I'm not sure they're this time of year, but let's go to, I'm going to go to Myrtle Beach when there are lifeguards on, on, on duty, okay? And uh, I've got, you know, obviously I've got a swimmer's physique, so uh, I, I think I'm going to swim a bit. I'm going to swim a bit. And... Um, it's yellow flag day, so there are some waves, but not so much that you can't swim. So I go out. I'm not sure that's even true. Uh, I'm making it up. If that's wrong, don't, don't listen to me. Uh, so I start swimming. I swim way out there. And all of a sudden, uh, I, can't, I, I just realize I can't make it back. I can't make it back. So I start to, I start to panic. And I'm, I'm doing, you know, doing this in the water. I'm hoping, I'm hoping the lifeguard isn't on his phone. You know, like, I hope he's looking. And the lifeguard, what was that show? Baywatch. The Baywatch guy got his little whistle and he's all oiled up. Uh, he sees me out there, you know, because this is what I do when I'm scared. And he sees me. And, you know, they, they get up on the stand and they look out, you know, like this. Which is awesome. I'm glad I didn't miss. Uh, I was like, I was thinking I could just go over. Tracy, you could finish. That would be great. Uh, 
You, you, he goes out, he sees me, and he sees, and it's like, well, that looks like somebody that's stupid. Uh, I should go out there and save them. And he grabs whatever they grabbed. If they grab something, I don't think they grab something. And he starts to swim. He's a man, man. He, he's, swimming like, he's swimming like a torpedo, cutting through the water. And he gets to me just before I go under for the last time. And he grabs me by the hair or whatever they do. And he swims me in. Swims me in. How foolish would it be? I I get on shore. I catch my breath. I say to everybody watching, you know, if I hadn't relaxed, he'd have been in trouble. If I hadn't just uh, surrendered, you know, just if I hadn't relaxed, he'd have never gotten me in here. If I had fought him, we, we wouldn't be back here. He'd have been in trouble. How dumb would that be? It, it would be foolish. Paul is saying, look, it, it, is, it is no room for pride. There's no room for pride. You just can't be proud of this because you didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's all about the lifeguard who came to save you. And here's what's really funny. C.S. Lewis talks about pride. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. <laughs> Think about it this way. Carolina fans don't even have to be good. They just have to be better than Clemson or Kentucky, in, in, my, in my case. And Clemson fans, they, they don't really have to be good. They just have to be better than Carolina. It's just how it works. We, we don't particularly care that we're good. We just got to be better than somebody else. I have wanted to take the high road on uh, like showing you how to, to be kind to, to people that you beat. And if we ever beat you, I'll try to be. Uh, but, but that's kind of how it works. So pride is comparison-based. Am I doing better than him? Uh, don't I do better than her? That's pride. That's what pride looks like. And if we're doing well, we get judgmental. <laughs> we're better than him. And if we're not doing better, then we start to have an inferiority complex and we get jealous. And there's this lady that we know on Facebook, and she posts this perfect little picture of her perfect little children in their perfect little outfits with their perfect little bows in their hair, sitting at their perfect little table with a perfect little meal in front of their HGTV-worthy kitchen, and you start praying that she has irritable bowel syndrome because that's who we are. We don't take joy in somebody else's good stuff. And that comes from having an identity built on goodness. If I'm not as good as you, then I, want, I don't want to get better. I just want you to do worse. There's no room for pride. Paul's like... We're saved. We're on the same team. No room for pride. There's no room for prejudice. After all, he says, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. And there's something really interesting about this that I didn't really understand until recently. The Roman church was founded by Jewish people who became Christians. Therefore, this Jewish Christian church had a very Jewish vibe. So certain 
Jewish culture and they have Jew- Jewish traditions. And so when they organized the church, when they established the church, it had a, had a Jewish flavor to it. It would make sense that this would happen. Now, there's a text, and I've read it a million times, and I really never even, it never registered. But in Acts 18.2, it says, Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. <laughs> well, this is for five years. So the Jews leave... They don't have a choice. And the only Christians left are Gentiles. And they start doing church the Gentile way. They have Gentile music and Gentile songs. And the Gentile preacher has his toga untucked. You know, uh, he does different stuff, uses a different translation. And it's all different, which is how it works. So, five years later, the Jews come back and they find their church Gentiled up, right? The Gentile potluck isn't like the Jewish potluck. And, and, and there's conflict. There's, there's conflict. Paul talks about this. Be patient with each other because there's conflict. Can you imagine if all the white people, we got deported, and our Hispanic brothers and sisters and our black brothers and sisters, they started to run Freedom Fellowship. It'd be different. This is our... We sponsor several church plants. This is... Uh, Edson um, Garcia and his wife Ashley and his two kids. But we are sponsoring his church over in uh, uh, Seneca, La Roca Okoy. And we were talking to Edson the other day uh, on uh, on a Zoom call, and Edson was talking about how long the service was—two hours. When I was in Tanzania, oh, they don't do church like us. It, it is a different animal. They do lots of music. It's not even good music. <laughs> what they lack in goodness, they make up for in volume. Uh, it's, there's a lot of it, and it's really loud. And then it goes forever. I mean, forever. Like, I could hear my stomach growling. And all I had to look forward to was rice. Uh, so uh, I, I was in a church service in Russia. Seven preachers, one service. <laughs> Went forever. I was one of them, and my part was good. Uh, but seven, like, good grief. And then after church, everybody stays, and they have a bowl of borscht. You know, that's like beet soup. It's delicious. So Paul is saying, okay, 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 okay. We need to get along with one another. Let me show you a verse from Revelation. I looked. This is talking. This is describing heaven. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there's a lot of conversation around diversity and inclusion the most diverse, inclusive place we will ever experience is heaven. Paul says, hey y'all, there's no room for pride, no room for prejudice, there's no room for presumption. So a sinful mind would say this, okay, well, if all my sins are covered, then it doesn't matter what I do. (laughs) Because that's how we think. Paul's like, no, no, no. Well, then if we emphasize faith, does that mean uh, we can forget about the law? Can we just do anything we want to do? Of course not. In fact, only when you have faith will you truly fulfill the law. So if my grandfather, back in Kentucky, if my grandfather bought a parcel of land... and he, he scrimped and he saved and he bought a little bit of land, an acre... And he clears the acre. And then he harvests and he makes a little money and he buys, you know, three acres and then five acres and ten acres. And before you know it, he has 50 acres of land and he's cleared it. And blood, sweat, and tears, toil, day and night, he has made himself a farm and a little ranch and he's got 50 acres of land. And I have a great affection for my grandfather. And when he passes, he deeds the farm to me, 50 acres. Don't you suspect I would consider what he would want me to do with the land before I did anything with the land? Well, sure I would. I would want to honor my grandfather with the land he purchased. We have been bought with a great price. We just saw that verse a minute ago. And we should consider because we cost so much and we're so valuable to God, how should we use these bodies, these minds, these lives that He has given to us? And we'll end with this. Only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Only when we have faith. What is faith? Let's say a guy meets a girl. They begin to date. They like each other. They have much in common they begin to talk about a future together. We we should get married. They don't know everything about one another, but they know enough to know they want to get married. So there's a day when they they have vows. That moment they start to share their, their debts, their assets, their futures. They even begin to share a name. This happened to me on June 9th, 1990. Best day of Miriam's life, right there. <laughs> Look at that bow tie. I am killing it. Uh, I just got to tell you. It is GQ. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, I think most husbands, if they were real honest, would say, I got the best end of the deal. And if you don't, just because you're really dumb. Uh, <laughs> and I say that in the love of Jesus, of course. And I was going to say, okay, we got the better end of the deal. When we 
give our lives to Christ, He's already said yes, we just have to say yes as well. In fact, there's a cool scripture in Revelation that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. This is like the groom being on a knee and saying, Will you be mine? He wants you to be his. So so I was going to say, well, we get the better end of the deal, but I'm not sure it's true. Because God gets you. And you are so valuable that Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you. We both get a pretty good deal. When we place our faith in Jesus, we both win. We both win. Father, thank You for these words and this day. And this assurance and this challenge to us to live lives worthy of the sacrifice, the amazing, unbelievable, mind-blowing sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Help us, Lord, to walk in that freedom that you have saved us from all of our sins. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.